One, two, three, four, I'm testing. Yo, good afternoon. What's cracking, my people? It's your boy, the host with the most. Keeping in a hundred from coast to coast. Better than some buttery toast. A D Q. You are tuning in to yet another episode of ADQ's Renaissance. Coming at you live from Gaffney, South Carolina. Chilling at my mom's house, Gaffney, South Carolina. You know, doing some mother son bonding. You know, had to take a second to, you know, keep my stay on my podcast game. Today, man, we got two dope guests, man. Two dope guests. We got my queen, man. We got the queen. We got the queen, Lady V, man, from 105.1 Real Talk. Keeping it real, uh, it's something with real in it. I know it is. And yo, we got my man Lauren Kaplan. Man, one thing that I've been blessed to do is know a lot of really cool, really dope people in my path. And yo, I cannot wait to chop it up with both of them. But you know me. And this, by the way, this is gonna be a two-part episode. You know, we're not gonna put it all in one episode, but we're gonna put it in two episodes it's not even gonna be a part one part two it's gonna be a, a episode 34 and an episode 35 that's the way we're gonna do this but you know me i like to start off in the word so let's go to yo let's go to obadiah the book of obadiah chapter one verse four but even if you soar as high as eagles and build your nest among the stars, I will bring you crashing down. I say to myself, um, I know God has empowered me to do incredible, wonderful things, right? But I know that if I don't keep God first, if I don't give God all the praise and glory, if I don't if I don't carry myself in a way that is magnifying of his word of God um, I can come crashing down nobody is stronger than God nobody is over God we are all gods but we're not but we are not the creator we're creators but we're not the creator so you know that is that that helps me check myself with my um with my what's the word for with my ego so we got a dope show coming up for y'all but before we get into but before we get into both interviews first of all yo june 19th juneteenth 2020 8 p.m amani shanice morris daphne trevathan john black written written and directed by adrian dion quarles Battle of the Books, my brand new play, Battle of the Books, will be going up, we'll be Zooming, Facebook Live, and Zoom, y'all check it out, it's going to be dope, think about how much we as a people need to read more, how much we as a people, you know, just need to open up a book and read it more, you know what I'm saying, how, how now, how much more knowledgeable about ourselves we would be, and before we get into the interviews, everybody say hello to your mothers. I'm about to say hello to my mother. Hey moms! So, 
Y'all tune in. We about to get into these dope interviews. This is a- I am ADQ, and this is ADQ's Renaissance. Yo, 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 welcome back to ADQ's Renaissance. Again, I'm your host with the most keeping it 100 from to- from coast to coast. I almost said toast. I don't know why, but from coast to coast, ADQ. <laughs> yo, we have a dope, dope episode coming up for y'all. And I'm going to tell you why, how, why it's so dope. Because it's by this guy. Just listen to this. Listen to this. I'm at my mom's place. I hope she don't hear it. Uh. Yeah. Vibe to it. Yo. Maybe we won't see that for you. Wow. So, yo, <laughs> here <laughs> on ABC Renaissance, we have a very good friend of mine. This man was a theater major over at UNCG. And let, let, let's talk about some of the plays that he's been in. The Refugee <laughs> Women, The Passion of Teresa Ray King, Big Love. He was Leo in Big Love. King Lear, where he was Edgar. The Crucible, where he was John Proctor, man. <laughs> <laughs> he was in Susicole. I was in Susicole. All the things you can think when you think about Sus. Yes. Oh, my God, man. He was in the Tempest. He has received his training from the governor's school in Winston-Salem. Trey Bowers in the building. DSA Theater in Durham. Movie Makers in Durham. Young People's Performing Company in Durham. I'm seeing a passion. I'm seeing kind of like a, like a, like a, a lot of Durham. So, it's all good. 919 is in the building. 919 is in the building. Also, let's, let's, let's see what else has this young man been up to. Also, this man does a lot of work with Hillel as far as intercultural collaboration and trying to network and bring other Jews of color back into the fold. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my homie, Lauren Kaplan. Lauren, what up, bro? Hey, how you doing, man? It's... I am black and highly favored. How you doing, man? I'm good, you know, just uh, battening down the hatches, you know, doing this whole quarantine thing. But other than that, everything's chill. That's what's up, man. That's what's up. First of all, thank you very much for joining ADQ's Renaissance this morning. Well, it's not morning, it's afternoon. I am <laughs> See, this is what happens when you get in your 30s. You start you start getting your days and your weeks and everything mixed up. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not there so, yet, but I'm on the way. So I'm sure I'm sure it's coming. 
I'm sure. <laughs> so tell me this, man. Um, we met while uh, we were both students at UNCG, students in the theater department. Yes, sir. <laughs> I don't know why that seems so long ago when it wasn't even that long ago. That was three years ago, man. Yeah, that, that, three years ago. I mean, shoot, not that yeah. much could happen in three years. Yeah. So, so tell me this. What mm -hmm. drew you to the theater department at UNCG? Uh, two big things. One, uh, I got a really dope scholarship that helped me out. Um, and, you know, my family, we come from a budget, so... You know, any help is appreciated. Uh, so that was a big thing. And there was also uh, an instructor there, Denise Gabriel. I'm sure you met her, worked with her. Uh, and I remember when I toured there, getting to basically just take a class with her. And I realized, like, I have to learn from this woman. I have to be taught by this woman. Um, and so when UNCG said, here's all this scholarship money, I was like, all right, that's where I'm going. You know? Yeah. So. You know, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, you're not the first person to mention Denise Gabriel. Um, <laughs> Michaela Knight mentioned her. Josh Anderson mentioned her. If you go to UNCG, look for Denise Gabriel. She'll help you out tremendously. Yeah, man. She seriously, uh, one of the best teachers, professors, people in my life. Like she's amazing. Honestly. So I believe that with everything, there is a genesis in all of the paths of life that we ascribe to, right? Mm. Like for me, it all started, I was eight years old watching a theater production at Washington Elementary Math and Science Emergency School in, w in Waco, North Carolina. <laughs> Too much, whole lot of information there. But anyway, I saw a theater production and I fell in love with theater. Where did it all start for you? Oh, man. Um... So I, my, my dad uh, was always really close friends with a lot of different artists. And one of them is named Dale. He's awesome. He's a big part of the experimental theater scene over in Durham. Um, and when I was a kid, I, ha I was, you know, I had ADHD. I had all this energy um, and you couldn't get me to sit still. So Dale was like, hey, you should take him to this place, YPPC, Young People's Performing Company. They take kids. Um, they let them do theater, they let them learn all the different parts of theater, the tech, the acting, etc. Working in the booth, working the lighting, um, and they, they put on plays and it might be a really good outlet for this kid's energy. And so I did that like all growing up and then I kind of got to a point in my teens where I, I was like thinking like, what could I see myself doing? And I realized like, this is it, like this is what I'm put on this earth for, you know? Right. Right. Yeah, man. I've seen you. Um, I've seen you in Big Love. I've seen you um, at work and stuff. And yeah, that's a definite accurate assessment. You were put on earth to do theater. So what has been like your most challenging role to date? Oh, if, if we're talking about like complexity of the role. Um, right. Man, there's there's a lot. I, I would say uh, uh, it's not on my resume right now. I need to get it up there. But uh, there's a play called The Sound of the Voice that I did um, with Denise. And uh, the man in that, that was a really, really challenging, but really engaging, interesting character. I, I don't think I've ever worked on anything like that before or since. 
um, that that was a really challenging piece, and that's a piece of Japanese theater too. So it's like written very differently. There's a lot of different qualities to the text that make it challenging. Well, so tell me this: everybody has a process that they go through as they are preparing for a role, right? Sure. Yeah. I'm quite sure that your process in preparing for John Proctor was different from uh, preparing for Susco. Yeah. <laughs> Those happened in the same year too, which is the wild part to me. Um, that is very wild. Yeah, I know. I did Susical, then I did King Lear, and then I jumped right into the Crucible. I was actually doing dual rehearsals at one point for Crucible and King Lear. Um, uh, as, as far as like, man, the process for John Proctor, like that, that was a challenge because you know, I'm working on another play at the same time. So I had another character I was working with that would sometimes come through with John Proctor and I had to strip that guy out, strip him away, get rid of him. Um, and I, I had to put myself, you know, as a teenager into the shoes of, okay, what's it like to be a 30 year old man uh, in a world where people don't believe in science and everything is fucked up. Uh, and I'm an adulterer and I've, you know, destroyed the sanctity of my marriage and I haven't upheld the laws and statutes that I've believed in my entire life. You know, what's it like to be this guy with all of that weight on his shoulders, making the decisions that he has to make in that play. Um, so a lot of it was going through the script, doing my research, really trying to put myself in those circumstances. And then it was, you know, intense, intense memorization and, uh, from that point, just improvisation, trying to really work every scene and get as much as I could out of every scene um, and make sure I was really going for that objective uh, as hard as possible. And I think that got me to the finish line, you know. You know, if I, if I had to play John Proctor, if I had to play John Proctor, I would have to take it to that role every single time I had a girlfriend and cheated on her. <laughs> but it, but it's even crazier than that because this was at a time this was at a time where you know adultery is like again completely against the law yeah and at the time and at near the begin near the end of it I mean if you haven't read the crucible that's your problem Arthur Miller wrote a very compelling piece that greatly I say this as a Christian man greatly almost directly reflected modern day Christianity because a lot of Christians are that judgmental that anal that um that violent when it comes to calling people out on things that they may have done wrong yeah, right absolutely and I and that's what sorry no oh, go keep going I interrupted you I want to hear the rest of what you had to say all I was about to say is I would take that into a performance as John Proctor, probably Reverend Hale, um, anything that anything that um, requires anything that you do in the crucible, I would definitely rely upon rely heavily upon my church background, my Christian background, and ask myself what is it about it that I didn't like and highlight that in my performance. Absolutely. And I, I agree with that. And uh, I, I definitely brought some of my own struggles with that because um, 
you know, being Jewish, going to synagogue, uh, kind of the, the dynamics you would see in a church, it, it's, it's very similar, actually, you know, uh, that level of judgment, that level of, you know, that, that analness that people have where they're always all on your shit, you know, always uh, policing you and like, you know, and the thought police type shit. Um, and I, I found for me, and, and, and this kind of helped me with John Proctor, because he, I think he feels the same way. There's an arrogance uh, and a classism to church life and to religious life in general and religious organization that for me personally is why I left it for a really long time. Like once I was a teenager, once I finished up my bar mitzvah, I was like, fuck this, I got the fuck out. You know, I did maybe a year or two of shit after that involved and then I was done. Like, because there's so much like racism in that community, there's so much like snobby, people are just snobby as fuck. People are always on your shit, always trying to police you. And I just got tired of it. I thought it was pretentious and tiresome and I think that helped me a lot with John Proctor because, you know, here you have this amazing book that tells you a way to live, tells you a way to try to think about things in a way, you know, how to sort of rearrange your perspective and try to be a better person. And everyone who's espousing it is actually living against it in kind of a way through that classism and snobbiness they carry with them. And, you know, just that hypocrisy, I think, is a really big part of like who John is, is he's got a bullshit detector. So for him, it's it's really like frustrating to go to church, which is why he stopped doing it. You know, he had better shit to do in his mind. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I like it because because I know that in my own walk on a personal on a personal basis, I've um, I've had that. I've had those same battles. You know what I'm saying? And I and me, I'm not and me, I'm not Jewish. I'm not Jewish, but I've worked at a Jewish, I've worked at a Jewish school and I've seen where classism and the element of racism do uh does appear, did appear. Mm-hmm. Like for instance, like for instance, people have found my the fact that I have a loud, powerful voice to be threatening. I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? Salting myself up? Nah, that ain't happening, yo. <laughs> That's exactly what they want, you know. They, they want you to be soft and obedient and quiet and simple. And then you get wrapped up in that life and you're not really a person anymore, you know? Where's the spontaneity, you know? Where's the energy? Where's the passion? Where's the soul at that point? And you know, that, and you know that's a slight on anybody who is a follower of the uh, of Jude- Judaism. You know, I respect all, I, I respect all religions and whatnot. Yeah. It's just you cannot force your ways on anybody. I said anybody also. I, I agree, and I, I think that like it. There's this dichotomy because I'm, you know, I'm a person of color. I'm Romani. We're known as travelers. Uh, there's a derogatory slur for us that's gypsy, which I highly recommend not using. Um, coming from that background, it's it's really weird being in the Jewish community because there's a dichotomy where you're Jewish, so you're quote unquote, part of the chosen people and you're accepted, you know, you're part of the community, but at the same time, you're other, you're different and you're treated as such. And I remember a lot of times as a kid, like being involved in synagogue and being involved in religious life and like feeling that split, you know, forced on me. Um, And that expected behavior forced on me more in hindsight now, because I was a person of color, you know? 
So tell, okay, so tell me, so tell me this. Um, it's interesting that you brought that up. I would like to delve in uh, to that a little bit more. Um, then we'll get back to then we'll get back to the theater. <laughs> okay. So, so you mentioned being Romani, like uh, like people who originate from from a uh, Rome, like Romanian, or is it like or is so? It yeah, different? let me explain. So I was born in Romania, but the Romani people, um, or the Roma. Uh, we are originally from northern India, um, and about fifteen thousand, you know, years ago, something like that. Uh, I could be wrong on that number. You could fact check me. I'm probably wrong. Um, but a, lot, a couple, uh, couple, it, couple it, thousand years ago, we left northern India and started traveling, um, and we went through kind of two different routes. Um, we went sort of from northern Africa down through like uh, Pakistan, Iran, and then we kind of split off. And so, so like some people went up through the Mediterranean, you know, through Israel, Turkey, up to like Italy, Greece, and up into Eastern Europe. And some people went down through like Egypt and Northern Africa and came up through Spain. Um, but basically very, very, very Eastern nation, you know, uh, of traveling nomadic people who ended up in Europe for the most part, although we're all over the world. Um, so so that's kind of like, I guess the ethnic origin, like where we're from, how we sort of moved around. I was born in Romania, but that the Roma and Romania have nothing to do with each other, except that some of us live there, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. All right. And so, um, at what point did at what point did you find yourself in uh, North Carolina? Because I'm seeing a whole lot of Durham on the <laughs> resume, so I assume that one. Yeah. Back. So what ended up happening? Just to give a quick rundown, my dad, uh, this like gay Jewish dude uh, from California, uh, ended up living in the South. He kind of just realized at one point that he wanted a kid. Um, and he was looking, he went to Romania, um, and he adopted me when I was like two years old and brought me over to Durham, North Carolina, and that's where I grew up. So I grew up in Durham, surrounded by a really diverse community, surrounded by a lot of different people from different backgrounds, you know, and uh, I think that really, like growing up in Durham really sculpted me into who I am, um, you know. So that's that's how that ended up happening, you know. Alright. And you know and you know what I like you see, I pick you see, I pick and choose people who I bring upon my podcast is a black platform, but every so often but every so often, maybe like once a month, I I'm, I look at my I look at my friends and I'm like, you know what? This may be this would be the perfect person to bring upon an episode where I feature a guest who is not black. Let me hear their story. And I think about how much you related to my piece that I put up um, at my piece that I put up uh, during the workshop, uh, my workshop piece when time was the yeah. workshop piece how you relate to it, how you respond yes. to it. Uh, yeah, I mean that piece really spoke to me. 
It spoke to things that I've experienced. It spoke to things a lot of my close friends and family have experienced. You know, people who aren't biologically, but who I see as family, like some of my best friends in the world. Like, like those are the struggles. Like you were talking about real shit that everyone's dealing with, and like, um, especially the commentary and the conversation you were also having about, you know, sort of black women and their empowerment and their uh, journey as individuals. Uh, in multiple communities and in finding sort of like self-assurance through that really spoke to me um, because like, you know, uh, my girlfriend, I've been with her for like a year and a half now. Um, she's amazing. She's everything. Like she's everything I think about. She's the reason I do everything. Like, you know, um, she's the love of my life. And she opened my eyes. She, she opened my eyes to a lot of shit that I didn't know or understand about that dynamic and what she's gone through and what her journey has been. And so that when I saw that piece, it really spoke to me on a lot of different levels, you know. And I just want you to know, uh, y'all look so good together. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. But but yeah, man, I, pre- I appreciate that. It's the passion that you show for it. And stuff that made me decide to turn into a full-fledged stage production, and you were there for that too, and I greatly appreciate that too. You ain't real. Yeah, I mean, I mean, my my big thing is like, you know, if if you know, I come from tight-knit communities. I come from artistic communities. You know, I was I was in the experimental theater community in Durham. You know, I was helping make music at like Black Space in Durham, shit like that. So I was plugged into a lot of different artist communities. And my big thing is if there's someone who's local or someone who's making art or it speaks to you, you have to advocate. You have to put them on blast. You have to let people know what's going on. You have to have an opinion. You have to be passionate because that's the most important work. You know, that's people from the community speaking about the real struggles and problems, speaking about their experience, telling their story. And that's fucking crucial to getting people to understand us. And for us to deal with the shit we're going through and move ahead, you know? So I, I always, always promote anything that I believe is real and anything that speaks to me. So I like how, so I like how you said that. It's like, it's like, I remember once, um, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure you have met, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with Brian Conger who used to be at yeah, Trident yeah. Stage, right? To, to an extent, not, not okay, hugely, so- but yeah, to an extent. Well, I've I've had the ple- I've had the uh, pleasure of working with him. We were doing gospel, and at one point, he said that church and theater are very very similar. <laughs> now, I know a thing or two about church. You know, I was raised in the church and stuff. I know a thing or two about theater, and I do see a similarity. In some ways, theater can be more acceptable than church because. Theater, you know, the end goal is we're all going to get up on stage and we're going to put on a really dope yeah. production, right? But you become family, right? You you form very, very strong bonds. In a lot of ways, it's like a safe space or a nurturing ground for artistic types like yes, you and me. Absolutely. Has that has that been uh, so? I assume so. I assume that's been your yeah. Experience? I, I would. I mean, it it depends. Like, of course, theater has its problems, like any community. There's toxicity. There's politics. There's oh, racism. Yeah. There's sexism. There's bullshit. There's shitty people coming into good spaces and fucking them up. There's indolence. But but <laughs> at the same time, at the same time, 
you know, it, it, for me, I think what I always appreciated about like synagogue was the cultural aspect, the community, the history. And that's kind of how I experienced my Judaism. And I think in some ways that's how I am an artist in general and an actor is, you know, that culture is nurturing because we're creating together, we're learning together. We're taking every discipline under the sun and sticking them in one room. I've seen plays that literally use every discipline of the arts thrown together at the same time. We're talking writing, we're talking filmography, we're talking pho photography, we're talking lighting, painting, building, you know, sculpture. All of that could be in the same room at the same fucking time, you know? And I think that's why I love acting, that's why I love theater, that's why I love film so much, because we're mixing disciplines. We have cross-contamination. We're all doing different shit that comes together and like tells a story. And to me, that's really important. You know, we're expressing who we are in our soul through the stories we're telling. You know, so in a way it is religious. It's just a different kind of religion. That is a very beautiful way of putting that. Somebody should need, somebody should take that and make a doctrine, uh, write a doctrine <laughs> out of that. So, so tell me this: with all that you have in, with all that you have in you to express and to espouse onto a stage performance, uh, how did you prepare to play? General Genghis Khan Schmidt. <laughs> Can I be? I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, it, man, be honest. I originally going into that play, I was like, "Let me do really serious acting. Let me take my time with this moment. Let me be intense and vulnerable." And then I was like, "There's not a lot to do that here." And at the time, this was like a high school show. We had like elementary school or middle school kids working with us, so I basically just became a babysitter. So at that point I said, fuck it, I'm just gonna have fun with this. So like I was still diligent, I still did my work. I memorized everything. I did all my vocal practice. You know, I was in the studio uh, cause I'm not a good dancer. So if I'm in a play where I have to do dance movement uh, I am working my steps like a madman. So I was in the studio at like 8.30 every morning for an hour or two every single day on top of going to rehearsals and on top of taking an hour or two at home uh, just to make sure I got the dance steps down. But, you know, for me, it was just like, okay, how can I have fun with this? So I just turned him into a Hitler parody. <laughs> I'll be honest. You know, I wasn't like screaming all the time, but he was a Nazi. Yeah, I turned him into a Nazi and I made, I made him a goofball, you know, uh, and I made him a joke. And I think that was what made that character doable for me. <laughs> like I could have played him really straight and really like vulnerable and interesting. Uh, but I just chose to have fun with it, you know, uh, and I don't regret that because of the other stuff I worked on later. I had plenty of opportunities to be edgy and insightful and, you know, intense and real and provocative. And with that play, I got the chance to just goof around a little bit, you know. Well, I like how you said that you played him as a parody of Hitler. That makes me think of a play <laughs> that I was once cast in. Uh, would you like to know what play it was? I'm trying to think, man. Go ahead. Just go, go was ahead. It just, one, was it one of the plays anything, here at UNCG? Guess what it was. 
it wasn't a play at UNCG. I'm not going to say what theater company was it, but they did. Oh man, I, I have no idea. So, okay. So, you know me, you know how, you know how black I am, you know how how proud to be black I mm-hmm. am. Picture me taking blackity blackness and applying to be and applying and turning an application to be a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> I say that because I say that because I was once cast as such in a production of the Diary of Anne. <laughs> When was this? <laughs> it was, I think it was like, yeah, this was 2016. I was supposed to do that the oh, same okay. time I did Godspell. I chose Godspell because, you know, you know, uh, I'm work, work, uh, this is a J term. This is for Ray. This is working with uh, someone who's on Savage Triad Sage. So, you know, I chose Godspell. And plus, this is just freaking ridiculous. Me playing a Nazi. Colorblind casting is cool, but sometimes you just gotta be true to you gotta keep it you gotta keep it a hundred with who the actual person is. Hitler would have took one look at me, one look at me, mm. and would have lynched me on sight. I mean that's why like I think colorblind is bullshit to an extent, right? Like yeah it's oh, like, explain I, it. like, Please, I mean explain let's it. be honest like like if you are claiming like if some if some okay like for instance a lot of white moms will say that shit like i'm colorblind i don't see color and it's like no you fucking do you're choosing not to because you're afraid of what you see you're afraid of what your brain is telling you so you hide from it it's actually more lazy than just being racist it's it's running from your racism and pretending you're a pariah when you're not like it's it's more tiresome to me like, like if you don't see my color, you don't see who I am. If someone doesn't see your color, Adrian, they don't see who you are because it is part of who you are. It is part of your experience. To erase that, erases part of you. That's a lazy way to interact and engage with other people because then you're not even trying to see where they're coming from. You're just saying, I don't see that. I'm pushing it away. And I think the same thing with casting. I think casting, yes, choose the best fucking person for the job. But... If someone's parents is in the play is a Latina mom and a white dude and you have a dark skinned daughter, that makes no goddamn sense. Like, you know, like and maybe I'm crazy for saying that. Maybe it's wrong yeah. for me to say that, but that's just my opinion. Like, like I want more people of color in theater and I think we should be. And I think people are uncreative in casting us. I think there's a way to make it make sense, you know? And I think if there were more of us on the stage, we wouldn't have oh, yeah, so. that are like confusing like that, you know? Well, yeah, because okay, so I look at color. I, I look at colorblind casting, and I yeah. see a huge double standard, right? You look at Hamilton, which you you love Hamilton. I love Hamilton. Hamilton is just incredible. However, you got a Puerto Rican guy playing Alexander Hamilton. You got, uh, I know that he was an immigrant of some sort. Don't know where, where he's an immigrant from. You got black dude playing Washington, black dude playing Adams, black dude playing Jefferson, black dude playing um, Jefferson. Yeah, Jefferson. 
black dudes playing them, right? These men were white slave owners. You and if you were to have, if you were to take a white man and have him play Martin Luther mm-hmm. King, all hell breaking loose. Heck, man, you even had a white man playing Obama, which would not actually be a be a, uh, doing anything wrong because Obama's mixed. He's as much white as he is black. Still, yeah. all hell breaking loose. I, I, you know I what think I'm the distinction too is something like Hamilton, and I think this is why, like. With Shakespeare casting, there's fucking bullshit regarding you know regarding what we're talking about because they never cast people of color as leads in Shakespeare. You can see that especially at this school. You probably noticed like they are not creative with that casting. Um, you know I think but I think the reason something like Shakespeare or something like Hamilton works despite those characters being white slave owners or what have you is we're talking about something that's fantastical. We're talking about something that is larger than life and i think in that kind of story you can bend the rules a bit you know or if we're talking about something that exists almost out of time like a shakespeare piece you can cast anybody in any fucking role but if we're talking about like a lot of the theater you and i do that's either experimental or just more modern with a more streamlined script like i, I i'm sorry like colorblind casting I've never seen it work out in any other way than white people taking roles they shouldn't have. This is my experience. And that's a beautiful point, man. That is a great point. That's a great point. So, so tell me about this. Tell me what was your experience in your most recent role, which is The Tempest over at, uh, over also over at Ah. Uh, I, I need that doesn't I need sound like being so I'm gonna keep my lips tight but um okay here we go uh look the tempest was a good experience in some ways because it taught me a lot um but it was also a pretty tough tough experience for me on a lot of levels uh because the semester before you know, I was in the normal heart, and I played a relatively small character named Hiram Keebler, but I got one really, really incredible scene in that where I really got to show off my acting skill, and I was doing all this cool shit, and I was, like, playing with all these different techniques, and, like, it's some of the best acting I personally think I've ever done. And then I went from that, really getting to showcase my skill, really getting to showcase what I can do, really showing off new ability, to immediately being put in a role where I didn't do any acting at all. If I'm gonna be honest, like I had four minutes in the beginning of the play where I'm this guy on a ship who is freaking out because there's a hurricane and I don't want everyone to die. And then the rest of the play, I'm literally a prop, you know? Um, uh, For the play, there was a lot of music. So I had to pick up the cello again which I had not played in four years. And this December, I spent two months relearning how to play the instrument. Um, And I was playing too much and trying to push myself too hard. And I actually got a tendon injury because of it. Uh, So that was really frustrating. Uh, There were a lot of creative disagreements. Um, Although my big thing through that process was, you know, learning like just stay professional. Come in, do your work, do your job, smile, go home. 
you know, because it's not my job to like bitch to the director or bitch to the staff. Like it's like I'm coming into work. We're all, you know, we're all in this place. We just got to do the best we can to make it the best we can. But I think for me, my my entire experience with that show was very negative. I, I had a lot of issues with certain things. For instance, uh, uh, the cast was 21 people. There were five people of color, including myself. And only one of them had a larger role. And that larger role was a clown part. And, and you know Jordan Spees, and I love Jordan, and Jordan's amazing. And you know, you, you know as well as I do that Jordan yeah. is an incredible performer who deserves to be getting leading roles. That man can carry a show, and he's proved it. He's proved it time and time again that he is exceptional. And they gave him this part, and he did a lot of great stuff with it. But at the end of the day, it was, here's this great, big, loud, large black man. We're going to make him a buffoon. You know, instead of letting him be powerful, letting him lead, you know, mm. uh, you know, myself and pretty much every other person of color, we were all ensemble. And I don't have a problem with being ensemble if the show wasn't so fucking white. You know, there were five of us. One of us had a larger role. The other four of us were stuck back in the wings, literally turned into props. Not to mention there were a bunch of issues with like the costuming decisions. Like initially the people of color in the show had just worse costumes than everyone else. On top of that, one of our members who is is lovely, 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 lovely person uh, and a fantastic actor uh, was put in clothing that was way too fucking revealing for a Taylor stage show. And she was the only one who was forced to wear that, you know? And it just felt, it felt fetishistic. Like it was inappropriate. And it made her deeply uncomfortable. But she was a professional, so she tightened, you know, tightened her lip, lips, uh, gritted her teeth, and just went and did it. Um, Tempest was a challenge because it was basically, let's work on this show where you disagree with almost every single decision, but you have to stay professional. And that's what I took it as a lesson in how to be professional. Because, you know, I love the director of that show. I did not like working on that piece. That's what I got to say, you know, you know. Yeah, because um, to any, I would say to any actor, uh, for one thing, um, if you're in the professional circuit or if you're in the uh, college circuit, um, in those two, in those two realms, or even semi-professional, if you commit to a role, you commit to a role. It nothing, nothing can separate you from the role. If you leave that role that's going to put a bit of a stain on your reputation and for uh, on your resume as you're being considered for future roles yeah so, i mean there were well, there were other issues too like we, we had a rehearsal on mlk um, day which i was really pissed off about we had like an eight-hour rehearsal on yeah i know um I we were i mean they they were running this ragged and then at the end of the day all of the ensemble characters were told, actually, we're gonna take away all the work you just did and make you do nothing. Um, I myself had to learn and help develop multiple pieces of music for this show, uh, just on the fucking fly. Uh, and then on top of that, I was also having respiratory issues because I found out now my ex-roommate at the time uh, was keeping the room in a condition that ended up growing mold and endangered my health. And I didn't know that. So there was actually a show 
where my voice was so damaged, my lungs were so damaged that I lost my voice on stage. Um, just in the middle of a line, just couldn't speak. Uh, so it was kind of the show from hell. But as you were saying, you know, you got to be professional. You got to grit your teeth. You figure out solutions. You keep working. You get through it. You finish. You go home. You know, once you go home, you can bitch, moan, and drink. But when you're on set, when you're working, you can't. You just got to stay professional. You know, uh, I know that part of the reason why I wrote Time is because I found myself being, you know, putting all putting a whole bunch of funny roles and stuff, and you know, just stuff where I didn't yeah, exactly. see any meat, any substance. You know what I'm saying? And I decided, you know what? Since uh, being, since I'm not going to, since I'm not, since I'm not going to find that. Right at this particular juncture, at this particular point in my theater career, heck, I'll create it for myself. And that's what, and that's where I found my love for writing. Like I have been told as recent as two hours ago by my mother that I'm a better, that I'm a better writer than I am an actor. You know what I'm saying? Personally, I think I'm dope at both, but <clears throat> I actually, if somebody, if I was to measure how much I love writing, and acting against each other, I'd say that writing wins by yeah, a yeah. very tiny hand. You know what I'm saying? I also saw that you've uh, had that you've uh, uh, yeah. been I mean, that you had I haven't been writing as many scripts. Uh, although it is something, it, it's interesting. Working on Tempest made me realize, you know, uh, I live in a world right now where people aren't writing roles for someone who looks like me. You know. I'm in a department where they literally told me, you're great and we like everything we're do you're doing. We know you're growing every semester. We like that. We like the work you put out, uh, but we don't know what to do with you. So sorry, we can't cast you in larger roles right now. They just straight up said it to me one time. We don't know what to do with you. So, you know, it's like, I know what to do with me. I know what I'm good at. I know what I can do. I know what people like me can do. I know what other people of color can do. I know stories that speak to our experiences. So I kind of had this realization this past semester, like I need to start writing shit. I need to start writing plays. Like I've always been writing music. I've always been writing raps and shit, but like I need to take the time to actually write some scripts because we're the only people who can talk about our experiences and we can't keep expecting them to hand us anything because they fucking won't, you know? Because they get offended even when we create our own spaces. You know, I mean, we could talk about like Jordan Peele. Everyone kept telling, you know, people of color, especially black people, you know, if you don't like the industry, go make your own shit. Jordan Peele decides, okay, I'm gonna go make my own shit. I don't want that many white people in it. And everybody fucking freaks out, you know? But that's what we have to do right now because they're not gonna let us in. There is no end, there is no door. And there are great people in the industry, like uh, Chris Chalk is a great example. I've had wonderful conversations with him who are getting into the industry, who are getting higher up, who are trying to change people, who are trying to be like double agents, but we don't have enough of those. And they're not gonna give us enough opportunities, I think, with that. So we need to make our own spaces and overtake things, you know? And it's starting to happen. You know, I mean, Tyler Perry is a great example just because he is starting his own studios. Um, I forget his name, but the director of Parasite is a great example of being able to break into the American, you know, movie art market and bring Asian actors into the fold and bring Asian creators into the fold. Uh, I mean, we have some examples. I mean, the work you do 
is you know it's making waves you know it's going to pick up more momentum the more you go but we need to create our own spaces and i think that's the biggest realization for me right now is how to do that and how do i want to do that so i will tell you this man from um older guy to a uh, younger guy um you like uh you like uh 23 21 <laughs> i'll make you older than you really are my <laughs> bad but one thing uh I just put it like this, yo. So you're, so you're, so you're Jewish or stuff. When people think Jewish, they don't think about uh, the original Jews, which is what we are, what black people are. You know, the Hebrews that were in, um, that were in uh, Egypt or ancient Kemet, Kemet or anything. They don't think about us. Uh, uh, or Ethiopia. They don't talk about, they don't talk about Jews like yourself who are Jews of color or whatever, right? They go straight to the European mm -hmm. ones. So, so there is a Schindler's List, Piano, Number of the Stars, uh, Diary of Anne Frank, um, Inglorious Bastards um, story that uh, from your perspective, just waiting to be out there. Yeah, I mean, on honestly, like, and honestly, I may not even be that guy, but maybe I can get the ball rolling so that guy can come out and make some shit like that. Because at the end of the day, you know, like, I mean, to go back to my Hillel work, like we were talking about earlier, like my job with Hillel, and it's an internship, but it's something I'm gonna keep doing uh, next semester, the semester after, as long as I'm on campus, I'm gonna do this. My goal is to bring in other Jews of color because I know what it's like to be iced out by that community, by the snobbery, by the racism, by the classism. I know what it feels like to be in that environment where you're made to be less than when it's your culture, it's your religion, it's your heritage and people are trying to push you out of it. I know what that feels like and I wanna bring other people back into the fold and I want other religious groups, cultural groups, ethnicities to know that the Jewish community is welcoming to that. We do wanna cross pollinate. And part of my job, honestly, is to pop the white bubble of Hillel here. I want them, the people working at Hillel, and they're all lovely, I want them working with and getting to know more people of color, more people from different religious backgrounds, because if I don't do that, they're not gonna welcome them into these spaces and Judaism isn't gonna progress forward. You know, people don't realize like in Israel, and I was close friends with a lot of it because I got to work in Israel for a bit, uh, there's a huge population of Sudanese Jews, of uh, uh, European, uh, sorry, Ethiopian Jews, Eritrean Jews, you know, all living in South Tel Aviv. And I know because I was living in South Tel Aviv and working with a lot of these people, you know? There are a lot of Palestinian Jews who are not treated well, who are not treated like citizens, you know? But they're just as Jewish as I am. They're just as Jewish as that white guy who goes to synagogue. They're just as Jewish as the rabbi and they're just as Jewish as his grandchild. But they don't get treated the same. And I'm, I'm trying to do something to change that within my community, you know? That's a black, you know, there's a particular black Palestinian, black Palestinian Jew who was treated like the ultimate crap, just treated awful. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean if we're, yeah, it was just treated awful stuff. Yeah. Is a man that works every day, uh, Yeshua. <laughs> yeah, but. I don't like calling him, I don't like calling him Jesus, but um, but you know I think that it's beautiful that you are uh, that outspoken and that bold and that transparent when it comes 
volunteer experiences and it's those who like that and it's those like that people like you people like me who are went who call who call bullcrap where they when they see it and are willing to go out there lay all online and change the game and as far as the theater department at the school that you were talking about i know i know you were talking about you know the spark you were talking about spartanville um they had they had man they, i remember once they put out they put up a workshop piece calling them out on their lack of inclusion right to their faces right to their faces you know what i'm saying yeah, my, girl, my girlfriend hating i remember <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. I, I was like, dang, Amber, y'all killed it. What the heck? So, so yeah, I remember that. I was like, oh dang, they are totally talking about UNCG. So, so that that was part of the reason for my exit from UNCG because because I'm like, I'm a I'm a black dude in his thirties. You're not going to soften me up. I'm not going to be. You're not going to. You're not going to mold me into an image that's not beneficial to where I'm trying to go. I'll sit back here and I'll learn, but you're not going to own me. So not only that, but it was a really tough time in my life and stuff. But I noticed the lack of support that I have that I've received. And then I just came to the conclusion, you know what? This just ain't for me. UNCG is not for me. UNCG did department is not for me. Not only that, but hey, man, let's just call it like it is. That that mug is so white that it's like a trip down the milk, the milk and mayonnaise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it kills me. We have four hundred people in our department. A good sixty percent of them are people of color, and most of our shows are filled out with white people. You know, I was big love and big love. You were playing a white role. That wasn't a role for uh, someone who's Romani. That's a that's a white role. Exactly. But they... <laughs> oh, there's a whole story about Big Love. Um, but it, it was our, our director was like, I want to do inclusive casting. And the cast, like, three people of color in the entire show. Uh, and I, I love her. I, like, she's a... She, Jen Jellicor is a lovely lady, but... Uh, she is. She, she, like, I took a... she is. She's lovely. She's a great teacher. Like, Sorry, I interrupted. You said you took a class with her? Oh, my bad. I was, <clears throat> I was about to say I took her voice for the acting class, and she was really good. I about fell asleep because she has fall. She has laying down before every class. I'm like, dang it, when I'm going to fall asleep. Yeah, I mean, look, she's a lovely lady, but she also, you know, does that kind of thing where she's like, I want to be inclusive and I want to let people in the door, but because of her conditioning as a white woman, it's hard for her to do that. You know, she can say it all she wants. But, you know, I had an experience with her where uh, after that workshop, you know, after Big Love, uh, when Amber's workshop went up, uh, we all went to like a cast dinner together. And, uh, you know, she asked everybody at the table, she's like, what do you guys think? What do you think? And then she, everyone turned to me simultaneously. And she was like, Lauren, as a person of color, what do you think? Oh, Lord. How is your name? It gets worse though. I, so I said my opinion. I was like, you know, look, I'm a person of color, but I'm ambiguous in a way that gives me some privilege. So I don't think it's entirely fair for me to speak 
on a piece, you know, where it was dark skinned, natural hair, black women talking about their experience in this department and how fucked that is. But if I could say anything, it's that I would want to support them. And that I think this piece was really eye opening. And I think it made me understand what my place is and how I need to be helping, you know, people in the community, you know, in my community, uh, get ahead, you know, how to promote them or how to support them, what have you. And uh, immediately after I said that, she was like, well, that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I, that's not what I think. I was like, so you don't care about my opinion. You just wanted your token person in the room to say something. You know, you wanted me to affirm everything you were saying, which was not my point, you know? Um, you know, it's like, it's just one of those experiences where I like felt like a prop, you know? And, and that's kind of what I feel like in this department is you feel like a prop. And if you don't fit the mold they want for you, uh, they don't they don't care about you. They don't use you. They don't uh, uplift you. You know, I, I'm different from the way I first came here. When I first came here, I was this skinny, like underweight kid. You know, I had really long hair. You know, I was just like, you know, I was a kid. You know, eventually I, you know, started hitting the gym. I bulked up. I gained a lot of muscle. You know, I cut my hair short. I started growing out facial hair. They didn't like that, you know, and the roles I got changed. You know, so I start. I went from being the quote unquote ethnic lover in the department, which I literally got told one time by somebody like, oh, the reason you're such a great actor is you're so ethnic, you know. Uh, but I went from being the ethnic lover to like being played as a soldier and a thug. Uh, and that was kind of my game for a little while. And I'm fine with playing soldiers because I know I can give them depth that makes them more than just a thug, but like, that's what people try to hand me, you know? Uh, and, and then I got the chance to play Hiram and that's one of the few exceptions in my career here where I got to play a character in the normal heart who is more complex, who is a person of color of excellence. And that's how I played him as a person of color of excellence, who is also a closeted gay man with some issues and demons, you know? But I got the opportunity to represent a little bit there. But other than that, it, it's really been here are the pigeonholes we want you to fit in. If you don't fit in them, we'll punish you. Well, yo, man, I want to tell you, man, keep on, keep on creating, keep on fighting the, keep on fighting, keep on fighting the good fight. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. let's transition real quick. Yeah, sorry, I know that went on a while. It's all good, man. It's all good because it's all good because I want people, bro. You're not the only person to have to deal with all this. You're just one of the few people who will complain, who will speak, not complain, but speak, speak to it publicly. I mean, US, univers, the University of North Carolina at Greensboro is a public institution. We pay thousands and thousands of dollars to go there, to attend there, to be educated there, and to get a piece of the theatrical pie there. You ain't giving me a piece of the theatrical pie, then I'm basically just paying you for free labor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so I'm got I got out. I'm glad I got out. I'm about to go do I'm about to go do some time at GTCC and decide where to go from there. I'm looking at Winston State and I'm looking at AT. But mm. You're still there. You're fighting a good fight. Keep on fighting, but be creative. Uh, keep on creating. And why? And among the creation that you've been doing, you've uh, touched on this earlier. You rap. You got bars. 
Yes, sir. <laughs> oh man, um, it's kind of cra- it just kind of happened. Like, I had a community of people around me who exposed me to different music. You know, for a while, like I grew up, I was one of those kids who was like, you know, when I was in elementary school, because I-, I listened to a little bit of rap then, but I didn't like understand what I was hearing. You know, I only knew the popular gangster rap and shit. So to me, it was like that's what rap is. And then in around like 2016 everything changed for me right uh honestly it changed with kendrick lamar no i heard his music i listened to to pimp a butterfly and it changed my fucking life like it made me realize wow this can be so much more this can be so much more intelligent this can be so passionate not to say that gangster rap isn't intelligent because it is there's really smart shit in gangster rap that i think people don't appreciate but it gave me a different perspective on what rap could be that it could be uh, some of the highest forms of poetry, storytelling, bearing your soul on wax, you know, for people to really experience your experience in so many different ways. And I, it changed my life. Um, so it was really like 2016, 2017, I just started listening. I just, like, after I heard that one album, I just started listening to everything I could get my hands on, you know? So I was like, you know, anything I could find. Like, you know, I, I went uh, all through a bunch of Kendrick shit. I listened to a fuckload of J. Cole. I listened to a fuckload of uh, E-40. I found uh, Rhyme Saves Entertainment, so I listened to a bunch of their shit, like Brother Ali, uh, Slug, Atmosphere, Aesop Rock, one of my favorites right there. I listened to Rhapsody, Yugen Blackrock. Um, I mean, the list keeps going, you know. I just kept listening, kept finding new shit. Uh, and that kind of woke me up. And so 2017, I started going to Cyphers. Um, I met a guy named Pierce Freelon at the Cyphers. I also met a guy named Josh Brown. Uh, they're both uh, incredible, incredible, incredible individuals. They founded a thing called Black Space, which is an artist community uh, and collective in downtown Durham, particularly and especially for um, young black youth, but also for youth of color in Durham and poor youth to come together and to learn and to create from people who are professionals who are also people of color to learn how to take their stories and their strength into that artistic world. And I think that really changed my perspective. I, ta- I was taught a lot through that. Um, and I just started writing, you know? I just realized I had all these feelings, all these experiences. I was kind of taking ownership of the fact that I was a person of color because I was raised by white people. So I didn't really have that understanding that I was a person of color until, you know, I was in my mid to late teens when people kept telling me, you know, you're brown, you're brown, where are you from? What's your ethnicity? And then I started asking questions, you know, where do I come from? Who am I? What is my ethnicity? What's my background? You know, uh, and so like in the past couple of years, I've been doing a lot of research on like my background, my history, my ethnicity, my ancestry. Um, and, you know, I, I think rap for me has been a way to survive, honestly. Uh, there's shit that I just can't talk about sometimes that I can talk about in a freestyle or talk about when something I write, you know, uh, this trauma I hold on to that I can let go to when I put it on the page, uh, stuff like that. I, you know, I've always been into music. Music always has spoken to me. Uh, you know, I've been making music my entire life from many different backgrounds. So I'm always really open-minded when it comes to music. So I, th- I think it was just kind of natural that being a poet before I was even writing rap and being so into music and into storytelling and into acting that it was all going to come together and, you know, spit me out the way I am now. Okay. All right. Um, 
I like that. I like that. And I also like that you mentioned Rhapsody because Rhapsody is my wife. She is, uh, I am going to marry her one day. Yes, man. She's amazing. Seriously. She is. So, so as we start, so as we start to wrap this up, so since you, since you, um, since you have bars and stuff, then I'm going to have to put you on the spot and challenge you. After we, uh, this segment, after we end this segment, I'm going to play some beats for you. You got to give me bars. I'll, uh, I'll provide bars <coughs> right along with you. And I'm going to have two beats that you have no idea what it is. And, and you can rock, so you know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right. Oh, man. Okay, I'll, I'll do my best. My freestyles are kind of whack, though. I'm, I'm going to preface by saying that right now. Um, we'll but I will do my best, you know. Hey, I'll what? do my best. Guess what? Guess what? Uh, in the theater, our cold reads are kind of whack, but that doesn't stop from, that doesn't get, stop us from getting cats, right? That's true. That's true. I mean, honestly, like, yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm down. Let's do it. All right. Let's do it. So before, <laughs> so before we get, so before we get into the bars, Lauren, All what's right. the future hold for you? Like, uh, so where are you trying to, where are you trying to accomplish, uh, from from today on? I'm trying to do a lot of shit, honestly. Um, let's talk about an ideal world. An ideal world, I'm a successful actor. I don't have to be big and famous, but I want to be good enough that I can live off it. Uh, I want to have released at least four different albums or some EPs, because uh, I, I, I make a lot of music, but I haven't released a lot of it. And I think part of it is because I'm a perfectionist and I guess I'm a little afraid to like release it, you know? So I want to get past that fear. I want to start really releasing my work, really polishing it. Um, I want to have written some plays or some screenplays. You know, I want I want people like me and people who aren't like me to be doing my work uh, and hopefully to get something out of it. I want people of color to have more mobility. So if there's a way I could do that in the industry, maybe with a production company or something, if there's some way I can help people get upward mobility, of course I would be on top of that. Um, you know, ideal world, I put some more money back into my community. Durham needs help, you know, I mean, there's gentrification happening right now and it's fucking shit up. All the poor people, all the people of color, all the artists were getting pushed out, you know? So I would put some money back into those communities so they could stay longer and so they could keep creating. Cause I think that's really important, you know? Uh, I, honestly, my future, uh, I want to have married my girlfriend, you know? Uh, I just want to be more on my shit. I want to be working. You know, I want to, I want to put some difference and some change into the world. And hopefully, I'll have made an impact and be my best self. That's that's the future goals right there. All right. So, um, also, those are beautiful goals, man. Those are beautiful goals. Real quick, real quick, real quick. Before before I let you go, before I let you go, before we get into the bars. Another quick question that that just escaped my uh, aging mind. <laughs> Passion of Teresa Ray King. Oh, you did that trash age. You say the way you just said, "Oh, like that." 
sounds like it was a beautiful experience. It was it was it was a learning experience. I learned a lot. I learned what professionals look like. Um I have it was chaotic. It was intense. Um maybe the final product wasn't what we all had wanted it to be, but I still think that process was something special and it happened in a really crazy point in my life. Um I was a second semester freshman. I just landed a professional gig at an equity house, which is like fucking wild. Um I had to learn a bunch of new shit, like I had to learn how to do steady cam work with a live camera feed. Um and that was a huge challenge in and of itself. Um I ended up playing a lot of sort of smaller bit parts. I I had one part where I had to do an intimacy scene on stage. I had to get naked and um simulate sex. Uh and that was uh I mean I've done that before, but doing it in a professional playhouse for a month, you know, month and a half with huge audiences watching, it's different, you know. Uh it was even harder cuz I had like gone through a really bad breakup at that time. Um so it was like the day after the breakup I had to go learn how to do this intimacy scene and it was just like it was it was a challenge, you know. Uh I learned about professionality. Um I learned about a lot of the inner workings of Triad Stage, who works there, how they work. Um uh and I kind of it kind of made me understand how much more I have to learn. you know that i have a long way to go as far as my skill as far as my professionality um as far as everything and i do think i've gotten better at all of that but i i definitely you know was not prepared for that environment at that time and i had to learn on my feet you know but it was cool it was a really cool experience i would definitely do it again um The team working on that was amazing. Every member of the team was incredible to work with. They were all lovely, professional, fantastic. Um all the the actors, the costumers, all the technicians, everyone was incredible. Um that play was also an original work, so it went through like I th- I think we went through 20 different drafts during our rehearsal process. Like there was one day where the script was so messy that Preston got mad said everyone take a 50 and rewrote two thirds of it you know uh so it was a great learning experience it was really cool um and hopefully uh it gives me another opportunity to try and stage in the future you know if they survive this quarantine all right <clears throat> now Lauren if people if somebody wants to like cast you feature you on their on their project um in the rapping role um produce your works um wells 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 just tell you how dope of artist you are how can they contact you? uh contact me through uh email uh right now i have my uncg email i will be creating more professional one later that's personal but uh l a k a p l a n at uncg.edu you can message me on facebook lauren kaplan l o r i n k a p l a n um I'm not going to give my phone number out cuz no. I won't, but uh I won't recommend it. Yeah, but you can contact me through those two mediums uh and we can talk. Uh I mean, on the biggest the biggest thing I would say if if anyone is listening to this and is thinking about like, you know, 
uh, looking at the different artists in this series and like putting us to work, you know, with me specifically, what you're going to get is somebody who's going to be as professional as possible. Um, I'm going to be diligent in my work. I'm willing to experiment. I'm playful. Um, and I have a lot of passion about this. So if you have passion, if you're telling a real story, that's going to fire me up. If you want to talk about some real shit through your work, I am there 100%. You know, like, and th that's what I bring to the table is skill and passion. Man, that's beautiful, man. That's beautiful. Well, yo, anyone wants to contact me, my email is ADQ, Apple Doll Queen, or Christ. Uh, the number four in crisis in Jesus Christ at gmail.com adq for Christ at gmail.com. My Instagram is Dion Chocolate Guy 85. My Twitter is Avenue ADQ underscore 85. And my and my Facebook is my entire government name Adrian Dion Quarles A D R I E N D I O N Q U A R L E S. Now, Laura, seems how that you are from Durham. Where the legendary North Carolina hip hop group, um, Little Brother, formed, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a choice as to which instrument we're going to do first. Would you like for a pop one or more of a hip hop? Hmm. A pop or hip hop? Shit. Just, just throw it at me. Whatever it is, I just gotta. You know, I, I tend to go for like introspective, like lo-fi beats or like alternative beats or experimental ones. So just throw what you got at me and I will do my best to keep up. All right, so I'm about to hit you up with that. I'm about to hit you up with that in just a minute. Uh, we'll be back on ADQ Dreamers House with Bar. Get ready, Lauren. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I'll holler back at you in a minute. Lauren, welcome back to ADQ's Renaissance, and you are ready to distribute the bar. Yo, this beat, this beat has a hook on it. It's from this song that has been playing in my head over the past few days. So wait for my cue when we go, all right? All right. All right, ready? Yes, sir. All right, let's do this. There we go. Oh, I love this song. <laughs> Yo, I'm about to go first. Oh, love you, Rihanna. Yeah. Check me out. Yo, about to throw some bars up in this Jay Mr. Pie. Yo, welcome to the Renaissance. Yo, this one was getting hot. That's the way I mix it pie. Yo, ADQ, this is my Renaissance. Yo, greatness I am pouring. You gonna think that it is foreign. Chilling with Lori. Walking down the street, making the girls heart beat. That's how we do. Yo, we freeze out on our feet like, oh. They can I'm coming with the randomness. Yo. I got a high podcast. Can you even handle this? Yo, this man is it. All right. Move it to the beat. 
Groove to the beat, or you groove you see me. Uh, no, I'm about to come up next, but first, let's get that song on that beat and flex. Like, oh. All right, Lauren about to bring the bars. He's coming. Mm. Yeah. Mm. All right, go ahead and kill Lauren. Yo, a great man said, imagine a bomb is the seed of a flower. We finished this podcast in about a fucking hour. I'm spitting with ADQ. We got that power in us. No sour in us. Sour dough is a must. When you making sandwiches, maybe you just cram it in. Maybe you just got to throw it away and be done with it. Because right now I'm in quarantine and I eat too much. Riding my bike, I got to get that speed. It's a must. I got to get the fuck out of my house. It's not sunny and everything is fucked up. My mind is going runny. I feel like I done lost it. Maybe I just can't focus. Maybe I just hopped off it. Maybe I just can't do that hocus pocus that I used to. Maybe I just can't spit and be smooth. Maybe I'm just a stupid dude in his fucking living room trying to do his best to survive this eternal doom. I feel like I'm stuck inside all the time. Feel like a vibe is on my lifeline. I feel like everybody gotta pull it and twist it. But honestly, I'm just gonna take my life and fucking live it. All right, all right, I see. Man, we both coming with some hardcore stuff on the on the smooth R and B but now, but it's all good, yo. Now we go. Now we could get hardcore. Check this out. Okay, okay. Yo, check me out. Yo, check me out. Yo, this is the intro. Foreign exchange. Check me. Check me, check me, check me. Come on, yo. No, it's your boy, ADQ, and I got some brains doing this thing. Yo, with me, you can't hang. I just say that, yo, that's just the way. Yo, that's how we're gonna go about this day. Praise be the Lord, yo, I'm up breathing, doing this rapping, doing this teaching, doing this podcast. Never, ever, ever will you see me put God last. I put God first, God second, all the way to heaven. God third, God fourth. Yo, you know I'm rapping. I'm doing with this all day. Yo, this is how we are pouring. Yo, I'm going to pass it to Lauren. Like, oh. Yo. I'm not religious, but I got a lot of opinions about churches and shit. I'm thinking maybe God is out there. Maybe he's not, but I've been thinking that maybe he's on top of me. Maybe this is my spot. Maybe I got a second to open my mouth and let my breath out and maybe say something that has some meaning that lets someone's soul out. Maybe I can help someone and lift them up, or maybe I'm just fucking up. I do not know, but what I know is that I'm living and I'm moving forward, and everybody telling me that I should just stop for a second, listen, take a breath in, but I don't have a second because I got to keep moving on i'm trying my best to hear the beat but it's kind of cutting out so i'm sitting in my house in the seat and maybe hoping that i'm staying with the rhythm because honestly everything it's like different systems like ecosystems like everybody is in a rhythm we're trying to keep on the vibe and we're trying to stay alive we're trying to keep moving in the same thing with the same brain trying to stay in a vibe and stay alive in this air waves yo 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 Check me out, yo, yo, yo. Now I'm trying to be a great dude. And I'm gonna say a Lauren, thank you. Yo, 
Lauren, thank you very much for the bars. Thank you for your time, man. Thank you for coming on ADQ's Renaissance. Greatly appreciate you, brother. No problem, man. It's been chill. And thank you for having me on. Uh, thank you for forcing me to get some freestyles out. I have no idea how it sounded, but hopefully it was all right. Um, it was fun, man. I really like talking to you, and I'm glad we got to talk about these important topics together today. Oh, yeah, man. We're going to chop it up much, much, much more. And also, we're going to do something. We're going to do something that we've never done before in our entire friendship. You know what that is? What? We're going to be in a, we're going to be in the show together at some point. I, I believe that. I believe it's coming. Even if it's not a play, we'll be in a show together. You know, we'll we'll be. I I see us collaborating in the future. You know. Oh yeah, I'm really do so. So yo, man, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for being the incredible individual that you are. Thank you for your support for my piece, man. I greatly appreciate that. And yo, man, the art community needs you, man, most definitely. Thank you. Same to you, man. Peace. 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 You know?